0: Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today, we're talking about the Oscar nominees for Original Song. And this episode kicks off our final week of Oscar coverage. My guests are back again for the second year, and it's great to see them both. Mick Coogan, you're an LA-based composer who's written songs for Bad Bunny, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, John Legend, and many others. You're also the singer and lead songwriter for the band Brett. Mick, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Chris Malamphy, chart analyst, pop critic, and host of the Slate podcast Hit Parade. Nice to see you.
1: Nice to see you, Skid.
0: Well, we're going to discuss the original songs in alphabetical order by song title. It's unlikely we're going to spoil any of the movies that feature the song, but listeners should consider this a spoiler warning, just in case. First up, Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah, music by her and Dernstamiel II lyric by Her and Tiara Thomas. For listeners who might not be familiar, Her, H-E-R, is the stage name for Gabriela Sarmiento-Wilson and is an acronym for Having Everything Revealed. There's no one, there's no one like you. I'm we could.
1: Uh, This, of course, is from Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, starring uh, Daniel Kaluuya and uh, Lakeith Stanfield, about Fred Hampton and the civil rights movement of the late 60s. Um, One thing I think we're going to wind up talking about here is that three of these songs, I don't want to say coincidentally, are from movies that take place in the 60s and have to do with some form of the civil rights or left-wing movements, Um, and they are sung by artists of color. This one to me, what's interesting about it is that it sounds like it almost could be diegetic to the period. What it reminds me of most is the work of Marvin Gaye. I get a very inner city blues make me wanna holler from what's going on from this song. It's a clever bit of sonic recreation. Um, And the thing about her, her is coming off of a win at the Grammy Awards. She just won song of the year uh, for I Can't Breathe kind of an upset winner at the Grammys, although if you know the Grammys the way I do, you know that sometimes the Recording Academy uh, likes to vote for things as much for virtue signaling as they do for the song. And her in particular has become something of a Grammy darling in the last four to five years to an extent that I don't know is is entirely helping her career. It, It is and it isn't. It's gotten her name out there. Like the the Recording Academy was way ahead of the general public on her. And she's prodigiously talented, plays guitar like nobody's business, has a terrific voice. So it's not a matter of this person has no talent, she has tremendous talent. But there's been a hype cycle on her, no pun intended, that I feel like has gotten a little ahead of her place in popular culture. But she's on something of a role right now, at least with awards giving bodies. So uh, I certainly see it as possible that this could take the prize. Then again, as I'm about to point out, when we listen to the other two records by people of color from movies taking place in the 60s, it's entirely possible that those three records could blank each other out. So if I have any criticism of this song, it's that as, as solid as it is, I can't say I find it tremendously memorable. Every time I hear it, I'm bobbing my head and enjoying it. But it's it wisps away. It 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 almost it almost works like score in the sense that it it you know it plays like it belongs to the period, uh, to almost to a fault. Uh, so that that's my pro and con on that song, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I I think this is a cool song. It is definitely has kind of seventy soul throwback production. Um, it's driving. She is. You know, obviously, an amazing melody writer and lyric writer. Um, I feel like the lyric is maybe a little on the nose for you know what what was going on um, in that movie, which I thought was a a really cool movie, um, an interesting movie. I thought Stanfield was amazing in it, and um, agreed. But I think, Chris, what you're talking about, there's like one central groove in the song, so it's Mm -hmm. like a lot of like. Cool seventies, you know, soul records are just like you find that groove and you just r- ride it, and totally, and unless it's the groove, then it might not be super memorable. So while I think it's a cool groove and a cool bass line, um, and the melody is cool, I feel like it doesn't really build to a moment where it can distinguish itself. That's oh, that song, you know. Whereas maybe right. some other ones on the list can, I think it's really cool. I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I was interested in what you're saying. She's done so well in the last couple years in the award shows, and obviously is a, an amazing writer and an artist. But I didn't really hear like I think maybe two years ago she she was starting to win Grammys, and I never even heard records before. And I, it was like, is she right. more well known in that kind of space? Where as a young artist, you really want to grow in a different way, you want to grow from the ground up and build that, like a like an Anderson Pac who was on the on the Grammys, you know you want to grow from the ground up and build that cultural cachet and now when Anderson Pac is slaying on the Grammys, everybody goes, oh yeah, well we've got 10 years of Anderson Pac records and that just makes complete sense that he's up there kicking butt with, you know, Bruno Mars, but to start to, to reverse engineer is interesting but obviously she can She's like superpowers. So she can write, she can write, she can do the thing. And um, I think it's a really cool song. I don't know if it's the best one, but uh, it definitely fit the film for sure. It's got this smoky aura of heat and makes you feel like summertime, East Coast summer.
0: Agreed on all that. All right, guys, let's go on to our second song. Hear My Voice from The Trial of Chicago 7. Music by Daniel Pemberton. Lyric by Daniel Pemberton and Celeste Waite, better known as Celeste.
1: So Celeste is an interesting artist because, okay, this to a mixed point about reverse engineering. There's nothing reverse engineered about Celeste. Celeste is breaking now. She's a British uh, singer. She's had a few small to medium-sized hits in England. She's not a household name yet. Um, there was an interesting profile of her in the New York Times by Rob Tenenbaum back in February, pointing out that she's kind of an interesting case where her voice will remind you of people like Amy Winehouse, uh, Adele, Duffy, all of these kind of soul singers that have come out of England in the last 10 to 20 years, except she's an artist of color. So there's been a, a sort of lively debate in the British music press about, well, okay, are we finally going to allow an artist of color to you know, score hits with this sound? Uh, and she's doing well for herself. And she's got a very, this is a cliche among cliches, but she's got an old soul. You can hear it in the voice. The voice doesn't just sound like Amy Winehouse. It sounds like Billie Holiday frequently. She's got that kind of smoke and bluesiness and um, ache in her voice, which I find very appealing. The song, yet again, I, I can't say I find it deeply memorable when I hear it. And I think there's cause to be slightly cynical about its attachment to Trial of the Chicago 7, a movie I liked, had a perfectly good time watching, didn't love, and I sort of feel like the movie's trying to get some woke points by, you know, including this soulful record attached to a movie that's mostly about uh, a group of white activists from the 60s, not unlike the way that movie has, you know, a whole Black Panther subplot not unlike Judas and the black Messiah, except it's, you know, a sidebar in that movie. And there's something about that, that doesn't sit entirely well with me, but the song is pleasant. The song is well sung. I've listened to Celeste's debut album and it's very good. If a bit studied, I find that when you have an artist like this, who's doing the retro thing, it can come off a little, you know, studied is the best word I can think of. It's, it's, it's very, uh, trying for that old school sound. But, you know, ain't nothing wrong with this song. I would be very surprised if this wound up taking it. That would that would definitely surprise me. There's, to its credit, it doesn't, you know, try too hard to blow it out. It's not a power vocal record. It's not a glory note record. So we'll see.
2: Yeah, I think this is a, a cool song. To your point, Chris, I, I feel it is a bit focus grouped and maybe, maybe it's kind of this whole... I mean, awards in general, you know, where, where you have this huge, huge operation in motion where you're putting out a movie like trial of the Chicago seven. And there's at this client in this moment in, you know, in our culture, it is like when you're, when you're doing a big movie like this and you're going to have a, a lyric and, and and a song like this, it's like, it just feels maybe a little too obvious or a little too heavy-handed I I, when I hear the first notes like because I listen to music all day long like everybody else but this is like you know HBO opening theme credits adjacent sound that is right now doing you know gangbusters but now it has become so so widespread and such a its own kind of genre and, and maybe more of a, it's more of a playlist than a genre now for me. I, I don't know that it where Amy Winehouse did this in 20 and in, in 05 and right. kind of started the wave and you're like, damn. And it, and that's why it struck so deeply because that soul that re- revisiting that soul thing in that very spare and in raw production style felt really new. Whereas now Um, it doesn't feel as new anymore. And, um, I don't know. And so, so with tunes like this, it's like, yeah, that's a really cool song, beautifully written, beautifully performed. She has, you know, an A plus big time voice. Um, but where, where is this supposed to fit in, in pop culture? How does it stand out? And so I'm not sure if it really does that, but you know, really cool, cool production, strings, everything felt cool, but I'm not sure it had that the special moment, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and again, just to follow up your thought, it's like, this is a case where the nomination is probably award enough for an artist as new as Celeste. She's 26 years old, so she's not that young. She's quite young, but she's not, you know, just coming out yesterday. But given that she's a new name to a lot of Americans, certainly, and even many Brits, just the nomination is probably a good, you know, career move for her. So, you know, more power to her.
0: It's interesting, the idea that you both touched on about the song trying too hard to fit. In this case, I do think that is uh, maybe a fair critique of the movie overall. And so um, while there are elements of this film that are quite accomplished, we'll see what gets recognized. But overall, I think the film left me a little uh, lacking.
1: It's a very Sorkin-y, Sorkin movie. (laughs) For better and for worse. It's never boring. It's an entertaining movie. I had a lovely time, but
0: yeah. Third on our list is Husivik from Eurovision Song Contest The Story of Fire Saga. Music and lyric by Savan Koteca, Fat Max Jesus, and Rickard Gurensen. Well, I'll say up front. So this is not a movie I have seen. Um, It's a Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams doing a comedy. But this is not a joke song.
1: Well, no. But what it's trying to reverse engineer, and it's right there in the title of the movie, is what a Eurovision song sounds like. And Eurovision songs are often power anthems like this. An interesting tidbit about Eurovision. And in a way, I'm spoiling a tiny plot point in the movie when I say this. One rule of Eurovision, for a long time, it's actually been revoked, is that you are supposed to sing in English. They Long ago, when the contest was formulated in the 50s, I believe, um, they set a rule that just so that there was a lingua franca among all the nations, even if you were from Iceland, even if you were from Scandinavia, even if you were from France, you were singing in English. That, I believe, has been revoked. So you are now able to sing in your native tongue if you want to. But often, artists will default to English. And the slight plot point there is that, of course, the name of the song is Husavik, which I think means hometown. And the brave, bold thing that the Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams characters do in the climax of the movie is they sing a song whose chorus is in their native language. They're from Iceland. By the way, I envy you not having watched uh, Eurovision yet, because I loved it, okay. <laughs> and and I think you're you're in for a treat. All right, um, it, look, it's not it's not Oscar bait. <laughs> this is the only category it's ever likely to wind up in. But I got I got a huge huge kick out of this movie. I I actually watched it a second time because my wife hadn't seen it, and Liz and I watched it and had a great time. And and if you can get past the fact that Will Ferrell, who does not have a great voice, you know he does he acquits himself well for what it is is joined by an actual uh, singer. And I want to get this right. Um, this was actually performed by uh, an artist, a, a Scandinavian artist named uh, Molly Sanden, who goes by the um, the stage name, My Molly, or excuse me, My Marianne. I apologize. She goes by the, this, the pop name, My Marianne. She's got a powerful voice. So if you can get past the sort of uncanny Valley of this song that it, is approximating something serious, but is actually quite goofy. And the minute you hear Will Ferrell singing, you're reminded, oh right, this is from a goofy comedy movie. It stands out. Out of all five of the nominees, I can imagine that there is an Oscar voter who's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm clicking on that. And if I can say one more thing, in the history of this category, especially in the last 20 years, I don't wanna say going back to the 50s or 60s, because it tended to be pablum back then, whether it was good pablum like Moon River or bad pablum, in the last 20 years, there have been several what I would call what the hell winners of this prize. I would say going into the 03 prize when Eminem won for Lose Yourself, which is actually an awesome record. There's nothing goofy or comedic about that record, but nobody expected Eminem to win that year, and then he won. Or It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp, in, I believe it was 2006 from Hustle and Flow. Or definitely Man or Muppet from The Muppets by Brett McKenzie of Flight of the Concords fame, which won in, I believe it was 2011. There's, there is a history in this category of people saying, ah, what the hell, this is the record I enjoyed the most. And I can totally see that there's a constituency for this record that you've got all these very serious minded songs. And then you've got this lovable goofball of a record that is still beautifully sung at least by one of the two vocalists. I, there's a part of me that thinks this could be the upset winner, but we'll see. Well, I,
2: I think this song is of all of them, feels most natural to the film. Like the other ones, how how movie soundtracks get made, there is usually a songwriting camp, or there are a and rs and big record companies people collecting songs. And I'm sure that that happened for this movie, too. but like that's kind of what this movie's about. And so, the fourth wall is kind of like blurred here. And that's what's fun about the movie. And, and I remember seeing it because I think it was like an early quarantine. It was like, wow, this movie just went straight to Netflix right. it was in March or something of last year. And then you're like, okay, yeah, I'll watch this. And it's really like a, a fun and charming, silly little movie. But this song is big dog, like Max Martin pop. And so in terms of song structure, anybody would be, you hear this, and Savan Koteka has has written many number ones, and the Swedish formula is well proven, and is on New Music Friday every week on Spotify, so these guys know what they're doing, and this is um, a a good representation of just this classic Swedish choruses. Um, The production, to me, feels a little dated, but I think that's kind of accurate to what the show was, you know, it's not supposed to be some new crazy new Charlie XEX hyper pop thing. It's like, right. this feels like a t- 2012 Katy Perry smash. You know, I just think that it's a really good song and I feel like it may suit the movie better than the other ones. I don't know if voters connect like that, but it feels like that to me.
0: Well, based on your recommendations, it will join my Netflix queue, and that sounds interesting. Next is EOC, scene in parentheses, from The Life Ahead. Music by Diane Warren, lyric by Diane Warren and Laura Palsini.
1: So this is the second year in a row that Mick and I have done this with you, Skid. And we had a version of this conversation a year ago at this time, and we're going to have it all over again. The key name, yet again, in the credits of this song is Diane Warren, now the Susan Lucci of the Oscars. I believe this is her 12th nomination without a win. Her nominations date all the way back to the 1980s. And songs like Mannequins, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. Uh, Songs like Because You Loved Me from Up Close and Personal. Yeah, uh, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from Armageddon. Diane Warren's been around the block. Uh, It may even include Rhythm of the Night, which was technically a soundtrack song from The Last Dragon. Uh, I think she goes that far back with that DeBarge song from 85. So if this wins, it will be because everyone has decided her Randy Newman moment has come. Much the way Randy Newman was winless for something like a dozen songs, and then he finally took it for, frankly, not even the best song he did for a Pixar movie. It was like a perfectly serviceable song, but everybody just decided, okay, the poor guy, it's time. And given that this category, this year in particular, there's a bit of a wash among these songs, such that any of the five could plausibly take it. If people are paying attention to that meta-narrative, I can totally see this this winning. Uh, What I also said a year ago at this time is that I am a bit cynical about Diane Warren. She is prodigiously talented, without question. There's a reason why this woman has literally dozens of hits. I find many of them are Hallmark card-like. I'm rarely terribly impressed with her songs. I will say, this one in particular, it's funny that she wrote this, the backstory is she wrote this one in English and it was then translated into Italian for this Italian film. However, melodically from the jump, I have to imagine the the melody, you know, Warren is a gifted melodist. I have to imagine the melody was largely hers. And this kind of operatic Italian style melody is a good mode for her. One of the very few Diane Warren number one hits I've enjoyed over the years was a song she did for uh, Tony Braxton in the mid nineties called Unbreak My Heart, which I have long said, sounds like it should be an aria in an opera. This is a little like that. It's like, it's like pop opera, except not opera, but, but it's got that kind of florid you know, uh, operatic vibe. And that's a good mode for Diane Warren. I will say as a, a bit of a hater of Diane Warren, this song didn't offend me. <laughs> it didn't bug me. I, I thought it had a, a nice level of drama to it. Uh, if this was the one that finally gave her the prize, it would be a little bit of a fluke. It would be a scent of a woman kind of win for her but it wouldn't be completely embarrassing. Uh, So anyway, that's my take on that.
2: It's like, where is Diane Warren's space in like the best original song industrial complex like over the last 20 years, she does what she does. And this music, this type of song, isn't for a person like me who makes and listens to music. A person like me that makes music every day, hears this and says, this is brilliant. This is for people that aren't insane music fans that when they see a movie will feel this immediately when i hear that in a movie i might not connect to it because of the m- multitudes of context that i'm watching the movie but for moviegoers that don't spend all day in a studio every day they can hear a song like this and be very moved by it and i think that's a gift that that Diane Warren has over the years where you're not going to nec- I'm not going to necessarily go out of my way to listen to Diane Warren songs but she will bring in new fans and has been doing that for 30 years and so like she she's just been doing what she's done so well I mean there's a building on Cahuenga Avenue that has 50 studios in it that's the Diane Warren you know Warner Brothers building that she built it's it's like she is at the at the top five echelon of songwriters so that like her her, her greatness is unparalleled but it's just such a she is so great in this one specific lane, you know, that I don't know how I guess one year it's going to happen for her, like Randy Newman, like, it's just one year it just happens. And, you know, a little bit more about the politics of that, Chris, but it feels like this is another great Diane Warren song. The one thing that was a little weird to me on the production point was the vocal was very much treated to. Make this song work. There's a, a lot of auto tune. There's a lot of of mm. little industry magic happening um, to make that vocal sit where it is, just ba- based on, on on listening. And so, I, I wonder if it was like a maybe a bigger chest singer or somebody somebody in 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 who who can really pull off that. Uh, if it, it's a, if it's an opera ma- melody, it should really be an, a singer who can go to that space. Great and so, point. I feel like there's a, for me a little disconnect. Melodically, it's pure. It sounds like a Celine Dion song, like huge Titanic level melodies and and, an arrangement. But I feel like if somebody was really selling that vocal like a Celine, I don't know, Celine or, you know, somebody with that type of chest power vocal, maybe it it would have connected, you know, it it could it could connect even further.
1: I hear you. A couple follow-up thoughts, because I agree with everything that Mick just said. It should be noted that this record, believe it or not, is on the charts right now in America in its English form, still sung by Laura Pausini and called seen. So they take the phrase that's in parentheses and move it to the front of the song and EOC moves into the parentheses and it's Laura Pausini singing it in English. To your point, Mick, I half wonder if the very process nature of the record is such that they thought, oh, we're going to get a hit out of this and we're going to actually promote this on the radio. And so they kind of produced it within an inch of its life, frankly. Also to cut Laura Pausini a break, English is not her first language. And even when she is singing in her first language, Italian, the story I read is that, you know, they spent weeks figuring out how to turn Diane Warren's original English lyrics into something that approximated Italian, had a cadence to it, but still conveyed the same message. And by the way, the message to, to you know, say a word in favor of it, uh, it's basically like the now modern phrase, I see you, you are seen. That's what the, the word S-E-E-N means is that, you know, just know that you are seen, which is, a you know, a very heartfelt, powerful yeah. message. And I think they wanted to make sure that EOC and seen meant the same thing in both versions, but it probably means that who knows how they chop together this vocal to make it sound even remotely natural, which it, to your point, it kind of doesn't. But I was recently listening to an episode of Little Gold Men, the uh, award season podcast from Vanity Fair uh, and Richard Lawson, who talks to far more Oscar voter type people than I do was saying, yeah, there's some buzz that this could be the one that finally breaks the streak for, for Diane Warren, that people are finally like, all right, enough already. Whatever the merits of the song.
0: it will be interesting to see. The final song on our list is Speak Now from One Night in Miami. Music and lyric by Leslie Odom Jr. and Sam Ashworth.
1: Can you hear the best? so i am not entirely to be trusted on this song because if i may flog my podcast hit parade just did an episode i just did an episode about the career of sam cook it's my topic for the month of march now in your (laughs) podcatcher and as a result and and the the inspiration for the sam cook episode it won't surprise you guys is um this movie one night in miami regina king's directorial debut written by kemp powers Frankly, I was using the episode as a a corrective to some of the collapsing of Sam Cooke's career that the movie, it kind of condenses everything that ever happened to Sam Cooke into the first few months of 1964. Now, the reason I'm not to be trusted is I heard this this song quite a bit while preparing the episode, but even pulling apart my bias here, from the jump, I found this one of the most memorable melodies in the category. It's a simple classic melody, but it really works. And I'm sorry, but I'll invoke the old could sing the phone book cliche, but Leslie Odom Jr.'s voice is just a thing of beauty. I half wonder if this winds up taking the prize. And again, I can I can argue it one of at least three ways. But if this winds up taking the prize, you've got one of the stars of Hamilton, you know, the most acclaimed musical of the last decade, singing a very simple, but beautiful and effective melody. Um, I find it a very affecting song. And then given the topic of the movie, he plays Sam Cooke in the movie. And one of the last things he sings in the movie before this plays in the closing credits is the legendary, A Change Is Gonna Come. And what's clever about this record is that it evokes the social conscience of A Change Is Gonna Come without trying in any way, shape or form to replicate the sonic signature of a change is going to come. Famously, change is going to come is orchestrated. It's got this gut bucket vocal. It's very throaty vocal from Sam Cooke, and Leslie Odom Jr. is not trying that. Instead, it's almost like he's doing a version of the folk pop that Sam Cooke himself rarely did but admired, because one of the plot points in the movie is he's a big admirer of Bob Dylan. Um, it's it's got a folky vibe with soul, and it's not trying to sound like a change is going to come. Yet it sort of echoes a change that's going to come. So for all that, I think it's a very canny song. It, it's probably my favorite in the category, but, you know, caveat emptor I, given what I just did a whole episode about.
2: Yeah. I think this is spectacular. A plus the best song by far in the, in the group, the, the song with uh, the purest soul, the best arrangement, the, the most nuanced production choices. I mean, it's just him and a guitar and when you have a singer like Leslie Odom Jr., that's all you need, a guitar and a vocal with, a, with, a, with an A-level singer, and you're really going to connect with it. And this, this song just is like perfect. And so I don't, I mean, when, when I hear this song, to me, it is, stands out very much from the other ones and the fact that it is not trying at all. It feels like it is completely natural. There's so much patience and space to it. And there's just um, really like spectacular choices all around. And it gives you such a nice payoff where the the more instrumentation comes in at the end. And this, it was a great movie. And in the moment where you have a change is going to come to your point, Chris, that it's not competing with that. And I think lyrically it's so much smarter and it's, it's its own thing. It, it, this song is, it has its own identity. It's not grabbing from somewhere else. And that is really um, impressive. And that's why for me, this one stands out very much like far more than anybody else in the category. Does that make, does it make it a winner? I don't know. But really, I think this is spectacular and uh, just extremely well-conceived song.
1: I'm glad to see it's not just me. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, no, it's a great record.
0: This is probably my pick as well, even without the background that you guys shared today as far as on-repeat listens, uh, that it just really, really moved me in a way that uh, the other songs did not.
1: And, you know, to Mick's point that, you know, when you have a song this good, you can keep it simple. It's, it's well arranged as well, because eventually other elements are added to the song besides the guitar, like the organ, but it's so subtle. And it's so gradual and it doesn't, nothing beats you over the head and it leaves so much to use mixed words space for Odom's voice, which is a thing of beauty. So yeah, no, it's, it's really an exceptional song.
2: This song, like all great pop songs, challenges the listener just enough and treats the listener as like, you're, you're looking at it or you're listening to an artwork. The other ones on this list are not challenging you to do anything. They are, there's so much preconception and and baggage with every single part of them but this one is like okay you got this guitar and you got this vocal and and the singer's voice has all the personality that you need it has 10 times more personality than any production can ever give you and so um it's very refreshing that you hear a song like this mixed with such great melodies and lyrics it's just the perfect I don't know it's, It 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 gives credit to the listener, it gives you it gives the listener a lot more credit, so it's nice when you hear a song like that.
0: Agreed. So, gentlemen, any movie songs that caught your ear this year that aren't on the list?
1: I mean, the problem, of course, is that there were so few movies, right? Um, compared to a typical year before we started, Mick shared a very helpful uh article from IndieWire that listed and ranked the songs that were on the oscar best song shortlist before the, it got narrowed down to these five and one of the very few that stuck out to me was uh, a song called make it work from jingle jangle a christmas journey
0: i'm gonna make it work again kind of saying how my story
1: you know, it's, it's, got, um, it's got some energy to it. So that one I kind of remember, um, but I, I got to say most of the memorable songs I think wound up in this category um, given the slim pickings this year.
2: Yeah, I, I, I want to just take this time to plug a friend of mine, um, Rosie Golan, who's a great songwriter here in Los Angeles. And I've done a lot of work with her. She wrote Loyal, Brave and True, which was the theme to Mulan um, that Christina Aguilera sang.
0: Should I ask myself in the water What a warrior would do Tell me underneath my armor Am I loyal, brave, and true
2: Am I loyal, brave, and true and I thought that was a great song. And I know how hard and and I know the story behind it. They were just writing something really good. They were they were writing a, a song the, that they were in that day and they just made a song that found its way to the movie. It wasn't like this song camp or like this pitch from an AR being like, OK, this is what this session is going to be today. You know, that type of thing. It's just uh, some writers wrote something awesome and it found its way to this great movie. So. I enjoyed that, and it's nice to see hard work pay off when most, when most of your work as a songwriter goes unheard, but maybe if a few over your career goes, are widely heard, then you're doing something right.
1: And of course, what's interesting to Mick's point is that this is Christina Aguilera's second time singing a soundtrack song for a Mulan film, because of course, this is the live-action Mulan remake. And back in 1998, a song that you recorded for the animated Mulan basically broke her career uh coming out of you know the mickey mouse club and that period of her life you know she really showed off her pipes on reflection which was uh this now 23 year old record and she is you know considerably older and has a a very mature voice and it's nice to hear her make that full circle you know what goes around comes around kind of moment but yeah you know now that you mention it that that was a, a fairly exceptional song in this category
0: Well, thank you both for coming by today and sharing your insights on these. Uh, This is always a lot of fun. Take care, guys. Take it easy. Hey, stop the music for a minute. Thanks, Curtis. Quick scheduling note, my original plan was to discuss both music categories, original song and original score, in a single episode. That's what we did last year. But not long before sitting down today, we decided to split them up. So we'll be back later this week to talk about the nominees for original score. That means 10 Oscar nominee episodes overall instead of nine. And this is the first episode of the final four. Because the Academy Awards are next Sunday, you'll get all four episodes this week. One last request while I've got your attention. Below the Line has 59 five star ratings on Apple Podcasts. I'd be thrilled if we could drive that up past 100. If you're an Apple Podcast listener and you're enjoying the podcast, this series especially, please take a moment to rate us five stars. Okay, let's wrap it up. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Juan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. As always, thanks for listening. Be safe out there.